shown partiality to the wicked. In his commentary on that psalm, Psalm 82, Henry wrote this, I know not because they will not understand, sorry, they know not because they will not understand. There are none so blind as those who will not see. However, those who have eyes to see what God sees, they find ways to do what God does. Those who see what God sees find ways to do what God does. So as we come to this special story in in John chapter 8, if you've got your Bibles there, you might like to keep them open and, and refer to it from time to time. We see this worked out in practice. Now, I just need to say, because you're used to a very good preacher up there, um, uh, I don't use lots of points. Right? I don't go point one, point two, point three, where if John David Paulson, for those who are back in my vintage, A, B, C, D, F, after that, you know, uh, I, tend to, I tend to use a story and what I want you to go home with today is not point one, two and three because you've already forgotten that before you go on a morning tea. What I want you to remember is something that the Holy Spirit has spoken into your heart this morning. It may have absolutely nothing to do with what I've got to say and it probably does. But whatever the Spirit says, it'll be one thing. It won't be one, two, three, four. It'll be one. And every Sunday, every day, every morning, we need to be listening to hear what God might be wanting to say to us. So Jesus is saying something here to the Pharisees. The story starts with the Pharisees and the, uh, the uh, religious leaders coming up and, and trying to plot uh, something that will trick Jesus into a mistake, something they could condemn him on. And it's a little consequence that, to them. That's, that's their job, to trick Jesus into doing something, to, you know, trick him up. It was no consequence to them at all that this poor woman um, is publicly humiliated to fulfil that task for them. Now, we don't know all the circumstances. We don't need to know what happened, how she was found out, what she actually did, whether she just spoke badly of her husband, whatever it might have been, guilt or otherwise. They weren't interested in this woman's guilt. That issue for them, the issue for them was to get to Jesus, trying to trap him. Now initially when Jesus didn't pay ball with their little scheme, they got a little bit impatient and they kept demanding an answer. Come on Jesus, give us an answer. What do you say about this woman? And Jesus' response must have been so frustrating for them. He bent down on the ground and he wrote something on the sand. Oh, wouldn't you just love to know what Jesus wrote? Tough. Get used to disappointment. We have no idea what Jesus wrote. And they kept demanding an answer. Verse 8, let the one, and Jesus finally in verse 8 responds to them. He says, all right, let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. And what did he do then? Yep, stooped down and wrote in the sand again. What an answer. What an answer to what was going on. It was as Jesus could look directly into their hearts, and of course he could, and what did he see? In my devotional a few weeks ago, I quoted 2 Corinthians 3.3, which says, You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, 
but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of the human heart. Now, when you're applying to a university or a job or whatever it might be, you get what we call a resume or maybe letters of recommendation or something along that line. You see what someone else might think about who you are. Who do you you go to when you want someone to write something really nice about you? Well, you sort of sometimes got to scratch your chin and have a little think. But you need to go to someone who knows you. Well, Jesus knows you. And Jesus is writing about you. Not delivered in a lovely sealed envelope, but through the lives of other faulty people with whom you rub shoulders with every day. Normal people. God doesn't use ink and he knew all about tablets long before this one was invented. And it says he is writing a story about you in the hearts and lives of others. Not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human Maybe it's a son or a daughter who just needs a little bit of encouragement from mum or dad. Maybe a co-worker who's something dramatic has happened in their life and they just need someone to understand. Someone not to talk with them but just to sit with them. Maybe just, just to listen. Maybe there's someone who just needs an apology. Maybe it's a child who needs a Christmas box. Could it be someone that you marry. The more we affect others for good, the more God writes into their lives. They become walking, living letters. Wow. A letter of recommendation written on the hearts of others. Let's get back to this story in John. Now, the issue here the surface issue that they were bringing up was the correct punishment for a woman committing adultery. Very hot topic of the day, by the way, particularly for the men. But that was a smokescreen, as I said earlier. What could be an issue that might be a topic of discussion in your workplace or over a cup of coffee in the local, I was going to say coffee club, you don't have that here anymore, but you know, your coffee shops or whatever it might be. Maybe it's same-sex marriage. Maybe it's the use of alcohol by Christians. Or maybe it's divorce. I think there's another big one and it's that elephant sitting over there in the corner called vaccinations. I think that's the big one that everybody is talking about today. This particular issue has got potential to be even more eruptive than this one back in Jesus' day with the woman caught in adultery. I believe in our society and in the church, it has a potential to cause real issues with people. Not dissimilar to the issue and the heated discussion that is in this story today. It can also cause human humiliation for many. How do we handle this as Christians, as God's people? How do we handle issues that come up in front of us where someone is humiliated 
before us. Someone who has perhaps done something that we may disagree with. How do we handle this? What was Jesus' response? How did he handle it and how can that help us? Now, I have friends from both sides of this issue. I have friends and family from both sides of this issue. And to be clear, just to be open, Rose and I have both been fully vaccinated, just to bring that out there. But I think for my generation... Hey, Ruth. (laughs) It may be just a tad easier in the fact that we remember getting TV needles when we were kids. We remember getting polio needles when we were kids. We got vaccinated from one end of the country to the other. It was just done. There was no drama about it. You just turned up, you got the whack in the arm, you got a beautiful little circle which you went proudly to school and had the, you know, all the little dots in the middle. Yeah, you've got to be this age to think of that. I wonder if it's just a little easier for us. We just went and got it done because we were kids. Mum and Dad took us, that was it, end of story. And of course when our children came along, did we ask, oh by the way, do you want to go and get your measles? <laughs> no. We just took them, doctor did it, kid cried, that was it, done. Perhaps some of the differences I find today is that there are adults who have suddenly got a choice and they're exercising their right to that choice. They have fundamental questions that they don't believe answers are getting, or they're getting no answers to. Now, I'm not here to talk about the rights and wrongs. Let's move on. What do I, this is the crutch here, what do I want you to, what I want you to think about is how this relates to your worldview. How we deal with people who have a difference of opinion or how we deal with an, an issue in our society that is causing immense discussion and, and humiliation and, and sadness for some. How do we relate to that? How does our worldview relate to that? What do we see in, the G, in, in Jesus' dealings with this woman that can help us? Now, when we talk about our worldview, my, my worldview comes from scripture, scripture. And so, when I talk about or reflect on my worldview, the standard for my worldview, how I see my world and what it looks like, comes from the scripture, comes from the Bible. It is based on uh, the decisions I make, the choices I make, come back to the Word of God. And we need to sometimes just stop and think about where is the basis for my decision making come from? Has it shifted somewhere? It always used to be in the scripture, but as I've gone along, has it, has it moved a little bit? Is my, my worldview, my standard of living, if you like, the decisions and the choices I make about aspects of life, are they still coming from the word of God and from the teachings of Jesus or have they been shaped and moulded and knocked around by the society in which I live? Is our response to those around us caught up in the everyday business of life? Sorry, I went a bit quick there. Now, if we go back to our scripture reading, we are presented with a woman caught in adultery. The previous scripture, which we didn't read, was that there was a division. So, immediately before this happening, there was a division in the ranks of the Pharisees and the scriptures and the religious leaders and so on. They were divided about who Jesus was. There's great discussion, great discussion in the temple and in the, in the synagogues and so on about this healer from Galilee. Is he really the Messiah? 
Or is he just a pretender? There was a big, big discussion going on. Was he a prophet? Was he the Messiah? Was he born in Bethlehem? Who was right? Who was wrong? They couldn't accept that he was the Messiah. Their worldview didn't include that. Their worldview impacted on this woman. Their worldview was, was, was outside of the realm of who Jesus was. Now, in Mark 12, 28, we read about a guy who was listening to all this debate going on with the religious leaders and he realised that Jesus had the wood on them pretty easily. And he was a bit impressed with this Jesus. And, it, and it, so he came up to him and he said, Jesus, what's the most important commandment of all? And Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this, listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is equally important, love your neighbour as yourself. No other commandment is greatest than these, greater than these. So the greatest command is love God, love your neighbour. That's the worldview. That's it nailed down. The guy came up and said, Jesus, what is most important? Nail it down for me. Bring all this discussion down into a focus. And that's what Jesus came up with. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbour as yourself. So in relating to situations that we find ourselves in at work, school, or uni or at home or in the coffee shop or wherever it might be, we have to bring it down to the very core of what our worldview consists of. Particularly when there are heightened emotional feelings. There's a lot of emotion out in our society, a lot of anger in our society today. So I bring it down to these two things. I've got to love God and I've got to love my neighbour. How do I do that? When it comes to relating with those, particularly those who differ to the way I think I see things, their, their view is completely different. How do I get along with that? Because a person's conviction can also be seen as condemnation. We have to be so careful with that, folks. So careful. When we're having a discussion with someone, is there an element of condemnation that comes slowly entering into the discussion? Fear of the unknown, fear of something out there can quickly turn to aggression, can quickly turn to hate and opposing thoughts can, can quickly turn into accusationally, or accusatory language by both sides. So who's responsible for my words? Who's responsible for my heart? Who's responsible for what goes on up here? Who's responsible for how I deal with that person who is diametrically opposed to my worldview? I am. Your pastor's not. Your home group leader's not. Your mum and dad's not. You are. We are. And for the record, none of us, no one has the authority to condemn. God's law was, uh, God's law condemned us, but God's grace in Jesus set us free. Remember the words of Paul, Romans 8. There is what? No condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Because you belong to him, the power of the life in the spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. There is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus and we don't have a right to condemn anyone else. It's not what we're called to do, folks. 
We are called to love God. We are called to love our neighbour. We are called to make disciples. We will make disciples by condemning others because of a point of view that may be different to mine. Will I show love to others and my neighbour by condemning him or her? Will I show love for God? No. Now, there's a brilliance of the woman's story that we're looking at today. The Pharisees were disruptive and a very accusative lot. Their minds were set. There's the law of Moses and there was nothing that was going to change the way they thought about that. The penalty for her sin was death by stoning. Clear, black and white, no discussion needed. They wanted blood. They didn't care less about this woman. They wanted Jesus' blood. So what did he do? Well, Jesus said, all right, fair enough, that's what you want. Those of you who are without sin, you throw the first rock. Not down in the sand again. Looked up, not a stone was being thrown. Now realise, the Pharisees and the religious leaders realised the truth that Paul said later in Romans, everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everyone. We read, when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Jesus stood up, he said to the woman, where are your accusers? Don't even one condemn you? No, Lord, she said. What did Jesus say? Listen carefully. Neither do I. Then he said, go and sin no more. Jesus exposed their hearts. He saw straight through, saw right through all the rubbish, saw right into their hearts, took away the outstand or the, the outlying situation, took away the woman, took away what she had done. All of that was irrelevant. He went straight into here and he said, now, what's going on in here, folks? Those without sin cast the first stone. He exposed it for what it was, the understanding that there was depravity there in their own hearts and they saw it. They saw it. It wasn't a guilt thing. It wasn't a condemnation thing. It was a grace thing. It was a love thing. He he said, remember that ditty, better check yourself before you wreck yourself. I love that one. Better check yourself before you wreck yourself. So where's my heart? When I'm in the midst of a situation where someone's being accused or someone is saying something that is uh, antithesis to everything that I understand to be true, where is my heart? What am I doing? Is my heart aligned with my own agenda, my own process of thinking? What are we presenting to our world? The world at work, the world at school, the work at wherever, my life. What am I presenting to those around me? What's been written in the story of their hearts about who I am? What has been presented to those who may be seeking the truth? For God calls us not only to show love, and I love that, that story before with the dog. Um, that, <laughs> didn't that fit beautifully? Not just those who love the dog. I love the, uh, did you see the shopping list 
I thought the best part of the shopping list behind the dog was chocolate-coated bones. Oh, you can just get right into that, can't you? What does a dog want to do? He just wanted to love those who patted him. He wanted to love those who gave him bones, who agreed with him, thought he was a great dog and patted his head. But no, he had to go and learn, was it the Labrador, was it? Whatever it was. Cat, was it? No, my, one of my hearing aids, battery went flat. He had to love someone who didn't love him. He scratched his nose. Okay, fair enough. There you go. When Jesus looked into the hearts of the accusers, what did he see? He saw they did not love God first and he saw that they did not love each other. He saw that they were only interested in their own truth. They were only interested in what they saw as truth. They weren't concerned about this poor woman at all. They were just using her. When he looked into the heart of the woman, what did he see? He saw that what she needed was not condemnation but grace and compassion and a way forward. When we look at those, we might think differently. Maybe it's different to our understanding. When we look at others and the way they live life, it might be different to our understanding. Are we being obedient to the greatest command to love God and love one another or are we just wanting to do what we think is right and getting caught up with that? And so doing, we are acting as the accusers and judging as though we have all the answers and we are the ones in the right. You've heard the law that says, love, here we are, love your neighbour and hate those with differing world views. I'm adding a bit here. But I say, love those with differing world views, pray for those with differing world views and those that persecute you In that way you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you are to be, wow, church, look at that next word, eh? You are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Sets a pretty, pretty high bar, doesn't it? So, what do you do with all this? What have we been reminded of this morning? How did Jesus deal with a contentious situation? Well, you love God with all you got. You put that first. You love your neighbour with all you've got. You be a light exactly where you are to the people that God has put into your sphere of influence. You are to share the love of God and you are to make disciples. You don't assume the role of accuser or judge. You know the truth and the truth will set you free. Freedom from condemnation. I pray this morning that as we go from this place into our world, whatever your world may look like, that we might have those things running through our head and we ask the Holy Spirit just to guide us that we might know how to deal with those situations that bring glory to God first. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, you know the truth. And I just pray, Holy Spirit, 
that you would apply that truth into our hearts, that you would write into our hearts those things that are true and that we might reflect your truth, that we might reflect, Lord, uh, your people, what your people need to be, that we might be seen as those who love God first, above all else, that we might be seen as those who love our neighbour, who love one another, Oh Lord God, even as we heard earlier, as we share bread together, is there someone in our world who is going hungry for spiritual truth while we feed every day? So Lord God, help us, I pray, this week to be your servants for your glory. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thanks, Andrew.